At the end of the day, the role of a strength conditioning coach is to prepare an athlete for the demands really at the tissue level, right? Muscles, tendons, ligaments, whatever, to protect them from the rigors and demands of sport and then also to enhance their performance in that sport. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider at clinicalathlete.com. We also have the Clinical Athlete Forum, where we discuss and share ideas and resources related to athlete health and performance. To join the forum, or for a potential listing on the Clinical Athlete Directory and for all upcoming seminars, webinars, and events, details can be found on the website. This podcast can also be found on your favorite podcast platform. And if it allows you to rate the show, we'd appreciate you taking the time to do that so that we can get the information out to as many people as possible. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. And my co-hosts, are on the show too. We have Jared Maynard, a clinical athlete provider and physiotherapist up in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He is also a powerlifting coach and owner of Unbreakable Strength Online and a competitive powerlifter himself. And we have John Flagg, who is an athletic trainer and the powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach at 301 Strong in White Plains, Maryland, and the owner of Rebuild Stronger. He is also a clinical athlete provider and lead instructor of the clinical athlete powerlifting certification. We have an awesome guest on this show, strength and conditioning coach, Corey Van Wyk. Corey talks to the clinical athlete team about his experience in the field of strength and conditioning from his days in the collegiate setting and where he's headed now. Corey addresses differences and similarities among the role of an SNC coach compared to a physical therapist or athletic trainer and how they all work together. Regardless of if you're just starting your coaching or clinical career, You'll learn a lot from what Corey has to say about wrestling with imposter syndrome, expanding and pushing his career forward, and how to avoid burnout in a field that never stops. And real quick, before we get into the show, Clinical Athlete has teamed up with the Level Up Initiative to bring you the virtual Kalu Summit. This will be an immersive three-day experience, entirely virtual, and includes an amazing lineup of speakers. Over the course of three days, we will tackle important principles of communication and exercise prescription for ACL rehab, tendinopathy, and low back pain. Tons of networking and brain gains will be had. So if you're interested, check out the link in the show notes. Okay, now let's get to our awesome interview with Corey Van Wyk with our boy John Flagg leading the way. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. My name is John Flagg. I'm a certified athletic trainer and clinical athlete provider, and I am excited for this conversation today. I cannot wait. Uh, this is a strength coach-centered podcast today that, that I've really wanted to get in the works for a while. So as always, joined by Jared Maynard and Quinn Hennick. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Sufficiently caffeinated. Just had a kid a few weeks, a few days ago. So yes. doing huge good. congratulations to Jared. <laughs> Brought another little Thank girl you. into the world, right? Yeah, number three. 
three, not enough whiskey in the world for me. Uh, <laughs> we're moving from man defense to zone, so we're, we're figuring that out. There you go. Might want to talk to to Quinn about zone and man defense as the, the old cornerback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quinn, how you doing? Good, man. I don't have any kids, so I've, everybody on this panel has got a handful. No. Uh, Corey's got one on the way. Yeah. One month. One month. I'm always super cautious with that about like saying something like that on the podcast. (laughs) This is always like, how many people do you really want to know? Like how, how close that is. Well, that's only six more. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Quinn's little baby right now is Instagram live and he's been killing it. So if you guys have spare time, check out his live broadcast. They are awesome. Super engaging. But on the the show today, what's that? Doing the best you can. On the show today, we have Corey Van Wick. Corey has been a friend of mine for years now. Uh, Quinn as well. Uh, He is a certified clinical athlete powerlifting coach, um, which is super proud. He came out to Iowa to one of my favorite gyms, uh, yes. the, the bar performance gym that Jeremy runs out there to take that course last year. And, and, you know, we actually got to finally connect, uh, face to face, which is always what's so crazy about the internet and stuff now. So Corey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us the, the start of your journey and where you're at now and what you're doing. Yeah. I also like to point out I'm also a clinical athlete weightlifting certified coach. Oh, so yeah, certified. yeah. I got John, both don't, of them last summer. Don't leave so that let's out. Go. Just flexing um, over here. He's flexing over here, and like Corey's <laughs> arm day. I mean, he is the the quintessential arm day. So you don't want to flex. <laughs> I mean, that's basically all the weightlifting cert is, right? Quinn's like basically mostly arms. Yeah, the snatch you is know. just like a wide grip yeah. reverse curl upright row. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, um, well, first of all, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, I think I'm one of the six listeners. So yeah, been listening to this podcast since this Genesis and, um, really appreciate, obviously really appreciate what clinical athlete does stands for. Um, so thanks for having me on, but you know, I probably won't spend too much time on my, my background, but there are some relevant factors that I've kind of gone through that I think will be good for today's discussion because we're going to get into some career stuff. Um, I got a really lucky start because uh, my undergrad uh, school, Central College, which is in Pella, Iowa, they're one of the first Division three schools to get a full-time strength and conditioning coach. I think maybe Springfield was the only other Division three school, like full-time no other job. You're wholly dedicated to the training of our athletes. Um, and so that was really lucky, but not only who he was, you know, he was, he was a, uh, at Iowa university of Iowa football, Oh, two to Oh four. So like he brought a lot of that to central. And like, I was one of those first kind of cohort of, of students to get in with that. And so from my sophomore year, in addition to my exercise science, degree, I'm like on the floor coaching athletes as a sophomore. And I'm doing all the, the curriculum that he sets for us. And by the time I was done, we had a full-fledged major. So I graduated with a strength conditioning major and had a ton of on-floor experience to supplement my classroom learning. And that was like, that was a huge just accelerant in my career. So I got really lucky from that standpoint. Um, 
from there, went to your University of Nebraska and got my master's degree in nutrition. Um, and so for a while, I thought I was going to be a dietitian. That's like I thought I was going to be sports dietitian, Division One university. And that just didn't go the way I really had planned. And there's lots of factors for that. And we can maybe talk about that. But still very glad I did the nutrition. Right. Very, very glad because I'll say where I'm at or I, my current, my role before I joined Art of Coaching, like the fact that I had the nutrition degree and experience is a huge factor in me getting that job. So went to Nebraska and actually started my PhD. I don't think a lot of people know this. I started my PhD at Iowa State also in nutrition. And the reason I bring that up is because that immersed me in like nutrition research world for a, like almost two years. So I went from on-floor strength coach, dietitian, lab-based biochemist, nutrition researcher for almost two years. And that just like gave, yeah, John, <laughs> it, it showed me what I did not want to do. That's for sure. Because I went from interaction with people to seeing to interaction with rats really more than I saw people. And it was pretty soul crushing. Like, I'll be honest, it, it was just not my thing, even though at a base level, I was still interested in the subject. But the day to day was rough. So I ended up leaving. And I was a personal trainer for about six months. And then uh, the job at Northwestern College, where I was at most recently before out of coaching, uh, came open. And that was a true dual role, strength and conditioning academics. So I was a what's called a professor of practice. And what that means is, instead of a research aspect to my professor role, I had a practical aspect, meaning I had to practice in the field of exercise science. And that was uh, my strength and conditioning role. So what that kind of looked like, four classes a semester, six teams uh, across a bunch of different sports. So I did football, wrestling, the soccer teams, cheer and dance. And I taught everything from nutrition, personal training, motor learning. Uh, and then we also had a strength and conditioning or Northwestern has a strength and conditioning major. And so courses for that, in addition to mentoring the students. So did that until this May, and now I've uh, joined on with a company called Art of Coaching. And anyone who might be listening who's familiar with Brett Bartholomew, who wrote Conscious Coaching, he is the founder of this company. And uh, my current role with that is what's called an online community manager. And so we have a number of different online spaces, private Facebook groups, online training. And my, my role is to manage those, those groups, interact with, our, with people in them. And then find out ways I can help. You know, like we're going to talk about career today. My job is now, how do I help other people move forward, progress, and expand? So it's pretty exciting. So having immersed myself uh, as a grad assistant in the collegiate system and having similar frustrations, you know, athletic trainers for years have struggled with the general population, not really knowing what we are, what we do, the difference between us and a personal trainer or, you know, what, whatever it may be. Let's, let's quickly just kind of go over the debt. Like what is a strength coach for just the general population or some of our listeners who may not have been in that collegiate setting or, you know, I have Damatha Catholic in this area where they've got a super accomplished uh, strength coach yeah. system at a high school level. It's just not not many people have experienced that. So mm. what's a strength coach? 
Well, strength. So athletic training, you know, uh, they are on the immediate post-injury side of things. And to a degree, PT is too, but maybe a little bit later in the process. Strength and conditioning is about the preparation for the demands of a sport. Right. So I know like we can get, you can get like <laughs> the field's gotten really semantic in some ways where people don't even like the term strength and conditioning. They prefer, you know, physical preparation or athletic performance because there's more that goes into preparing an athlete for sport than strength. But at the end of the day, the role of a strength conditioning coach is to prepare an athlete for the demands really at the tissue level, right? Muscles, tendons, ligaments, whatever, to protect them from the rigors and demands of sport, and then also to enhance their performance in that sport, right? Whether that's, you know, strength will tie into all that, but, you know, mainly looking at speed, power, and, and um, those areas is kind of like where, like the goal of the strength conditioning coach from a physical standpoint is going to lie. So that's kind of like, if you think about like this continuum, strength conditioning is kind of like the first line of defense against injury and increasing the on-field performance. And then if something were to happen, then you guys come in, right? Athletic trainers, physical therapists, as, as people who would deal with the athlete post-injury. Um, and then they kind of feed into each other, right? Physical therapists will do the, the return to train training protocol and then at a certain point, strength and conditioning will retake over that process to prepare the athlete for the demands. So, yeah, that's um, does that answer your question, John? Is that yeah, especially at the collegiate level? There. Yeah, it's a big it's a big team thing at the collegiate level, especially. You know, you've got you mentioned how many teams you had. That's right. how many athletes is that? Like over a hundred? Um, about two fifty. 250 to 300 <laughs> okay. football roster. So 250 athletes, you know, a lot of the times when, when you talk about, you know, what, what the three of us do coaching powerlifters and weightlifters and stuff, we, we have our rosters, but we're not managing 250 athletes. It's this big, it's that team continuum that you always hear about in school and is built on with, okay, it's, it's handoffs. And I think a lot of the times the general public looks at like the term strength coach and they think, you know, the the high school football coach who is blowing a whistle and screaming at people under a under a barbell. And, and really, you know, the, what it really is, is is that high end profession who focuses in like you were talking about that physical preparation for sport and performance uh, that is part of that continuum especially at the collegiate level and in some cases, uh, high-end high school level. I personally think it should be everywhere, just like athletic training coverage and, uh, you know, at wide, wide access to physical therapy. But we're not there yet. Yeah, you hit on some interesting points because you kind of hit on had the perception, mm-hmm. the outside perception of strength and conditioning is. And, um Strength conditioning is unique because it is such a blend of many different disciplines. Yes, weightlifting and like knowing the physiology of muscle is a piece, but that's just like very, very small slice of the pie. Like you you, you break it down into a session, right? The session you've got the warm up or the prep for what you're about to do. So the knowledge of like how to go through that process. 
then you have the session itself, which is going to incorporate some form of like power training or plyometrics. And then you have the actual maybe strength building portion. Um, and then you've got things like mobility, flexibility, and then maybe agility and, and linear speed development. And that could all happen within 60 minutes, right? And that's not even touching the coaching part. Like, how do you deal with people, you know, when you're one person to 50, which a lot of strength coaches, that's their reality, right? Like they're one person to 50. And that that is a tough thing to get out there, right? You guys probably have felt that before because your disciplines are similar in many ways. Like it's not just um, one thing or just physiology. There's a lot of different components that go into what we do. And like, I kind of looked at my, my, what my teaching load used to be nutrition, motor learning, uh, anatomy, like all, we all just maybe do them in different phases. Um, so like, like kind of managing perception, what I started to do is I just started to not be quiet about that stuff. Like no one's going to know what we really do if we, if we don't somewhat let people know. And not in like a way that's like, hey, look at me. But at the end of the day, um, it kind of follows that line of no one's gonna, no one's gonna like go to battle for you, but you. And so, strength conditioning, while yeah, like some we're somewhat closed door in nature, right? Because we're in the facility at five a.m. every day or earlier or whatever, and rarely is like anyone else there, kind of thing. But at the end of the day, if we want to change the perception of what strength conditioning is and be seen like John, like you mentioned, like professionals, not just weight room people, then the more that we can just let, let people know like all the different facets of the job, I think that would go, uh, that would start, at least start this process of changing what strength conditioning is perceived to be. I don't know. Would you guys agree with that? Like, what do you think about that? Definitely. I don't think people understand how hard it is to manage all that. I got out of it because of it, because it was so hard. And you're not, and, and so you're like, yeah, that's not even the coaching aspect. Well, like a layer deeper than that. That's not even taking into account. That's, that's assuming the athlete is doing all of the work the way that you want, the way that you expect them to do it. You know, when it's one mm -hmm. to 50 or more, you yeah. turn your back and you're just, you're trusting that all these kids have the same passion like they're not weightlifters or powerlifters. They're, they don't necessarily care about the weight room. They, maybe some of them do, you know, but a lot of them don't. Yeah. And, and so there's just, there's so many, there's so much dynamic there that, that I don't think people realize until you're in it and you're just faced with these, these issues, you know, just, yeah. just the con, like the complexity of the system, but also just the complexity of dealing with that many humans. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I've talked to, to speak to the small, my, you know, other fellow, like small school strength coaches, what can be very tough is the fact that the face of strength and conditioning is division one football. Yeah. Like I, I talked about, there's a lot of pressure, particularly on smaller school strength coaches and small school, like really, if you're not division one football, it can be a huge spectrum. But there's a lot of pressure to like look and feel the same way as these these other programs that are on the face, really the face of strength and conditioning that you see like on college game day. You know, those are the ones that make it make it. And really like to like your point, 
Quinn about one to 50, one person to 50. It's there's times where you feel like you're more of a manager of the, of the environment in the situation versus getting super deep detail about, Hey, how is this athlete doing their high knee grab to like lunge, <laughs> you know, and is every single one doing with the dorsiflexed ankle, right? Knee up, toe up kind of thing. And, and, um, like I, I've in the past have tried to be like, let, let smaller school strength coaches have a little grace on that front because there's a lot of different demands to their jobs that quite frankly, it doesn't get enough credit in my opinion, um, in their ability to do that. So yeah, that's well, it. Just, <laughs> just to jump in on that. So I've, yeah. I've never held a role like this. The extent of my experience has been a good friend of mine holding the position of head strength and conditioning coach at a relatively small school up here in, in Canada. And, um, it's, well, you just touched on the big things that came to mind as we started having this conversation because the, the value of strength and conditioning at that school is just different on all fronts, including the faculty, which then means that the resources available to my friend to do his job are just not the same as they would be at a bigger school, whether here in Canada, in the States or elsewhere. Um, and he still has all of those logistical things to figure out. I think he's got some staff members that he also, that I, sorry, that work with him, but then that also adds more complexity because they're not, uh, he has to communicate his ideas and, you know, sort of commander's intent to them and then check in to make sure that they're doing what he wants them to do at the, yep. the athlete level. Um, and if there's pushback or friction there, then that's just another thing on his plate. So yep. again, as someone who's effectively on the outside, it, what you say seems very true on the face of it, where your job at a small school is different from a big school, but still, you know, with the same outcomes that you have to strive for, um, you know, day in, day out and all these different ways and all the hats you have to wear. Yeah. And, and like, and also what's just generally expected of you from other people, because they do want, <laughs> here's, here's like a common scenario. Hey coach, uh, we've got five different positions within our team. Can each one of those positions have their own program? You know, or like, Hey, I noticed that both football and volleyball back squat. Well, I'm the volleyball coach. I don't want my, my girls doing the football program. So can you do something that that's individual to us? And like, we know like, okay, we're, it's a stress on the system. Right. And so whether it like squat is not a football, you know, lift or whatever you want to call it. And that, like Jared, that hits so much at the communication piece. Mm-hmm. And somewhat like strength coaches tend to get really mad about those conversations. And the more I think you can see that as educational opportunities, they will at least temper like these gut reactions of, ah, oh, crap, they don't understand what I do. Mm-hmm. And then the process of education begins. It will not happen in the con- in like yeah. one conversation. It might not even happen after five, but the process, like see it as an opportunity when that kind of stuff happens. Right. And yeah, go ahead, Jared. Sorry. You can finish that thought. Well, I'm just, I just think that I think, you know, my success at Northwestern, I had almost complete autonomy from my head sport coaches because First and foremost, in any meeting with them, I made it abundantly clear 
that my job is to re- make make their realization of what they want for their team happen by by whatever you know method they like kind of you know you get at the heart of what they want and then use your skills to make that happen in still a scientifically logical way and that went a long way to just maybe if they weren't there right right on the start of like understanding everything that I do they at least knew that I was going to be open to their input their like wants and desires and then I was going to do what I could to make that fall in line with what I was going to do with our program. For sure. Just keeping on the, the piece of communication there, uh, you're clearly a really effective communicator. So my question for you is, if you're able to say, how much of your ability to communicate with your athletes, you know, with the other people that you work with, was benefited by your experience teaching? Um, and then maybe your experience as a personal trainer, and then maybe just sort of your innate ability to, to communicate if that's sort of been your jam for, for a long time. <laughs> I'll say that I do think the fact that I was also a, had an academic role benefited that process for mm-hmm. sure, because at some level and, um, John Berardi was recently on the art of coaching podcast. And he talked about this very fact of like, he's got a doctorate in like nutrition biochemistry. Like, so very few people are going to outright question him. Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not to Dr. Brady's level. No, no, no doubt. But at the same time, these other coaches and to a degree are students, like they know I teach anatomy. They know I teach strength and conditioning. They know I teach nutrition. And so by and large, like I do think that goes, that benefits the, the conversation. And then what also came out of that, and this kind of hits at, career viability and like ways to maybe supplement what you do to, to just kind of create a life for yourself. When I started speaking, like when I started doing outside speaking or they see me go to Quinn's course or John's course, like all that goes into their perception of, of what I do, who I am and like my knowledge base. Um, so yeah, I really do think that that made a difference and Going back to like the second part of your question, I, I think what helped me, especially early on, is the fact that I diversified my education. And I would say, and this is kind of my advice to any students listening, as much as possible while you're getting your degree or while you're in school, like just diversify as much as you can. Like I wish I would have even diversified more. And what I mean by that is you know, I, I was pretty, I was traditional in undergrad. I was, yeah, I was lucky that I got a strength conditioning specific major, but I stuck to exercise science. Like I, I really didn't go beyond that. And now that I'm at where I'm at, and I would say this is true in almost, gosh, anything you get into. And I think like, I want your guys' input after I say this, I wish I like would have gotten like a double major in business. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, people like to talk about, you know, double major in psychology, double major. Like at the time when I was really nutrition specific, I wished I would have double majored in biochemistry because um, it just would have helped me a lot more. I kind of got to grad school and all the other nutrition students were like, wait, you're a strength coach. Why are you in nutrition? <laughs> you know? But it just would have helped me. And, um, that's what I mean by diversify. And then you've got, if you've got like the exercise science specific undergrad, do something else with your master's degree or with your post 
post undergrad stuff because my exercise science or my, my master's degree, yes, I had the nutrition component, but everything ex-phys related was, was review. You just learn a little deeper. And so I think, yeah, I diversified from nutrition, but I wish I would have even diversified. Maybe it have been a little bit more or sought out different experiences. But like, what do you guys think about the business thing? Because I think to me, there's almost no profession. It might help if you have that knowledge. I'll jump in just real quick. Yeah, completely agree. And that I think I would have agreed even if you asked me six months ago, a year ago, but I agree much more enthusiastically now as of the last, say, three, four months, even just for the purpose of understanding how it's critical for just about any role. If you're trying to work with people and, and help them in any way to get their attention first. Uh, speak a language that they understand and really communicate and build as much value as possible, become really effective at highlighting or maybe teasing out the information from them about what problems they're facing currently and then work collaboratively or show them how you can help them to get where they want to to go. So you have to obviously tease out the aspirational identity. Um, If you can do that relatively seamlessly um, and just get your reps in. I have a hard time thinking about a profession that doesn't help, but especially in the realm of strength and conditioning and you know rehab, that sort of thing. I mean, I would completely agree. I'd actually expand on that and say there's probably a couple different branches of education we could make minors, especially looking at exercise science, athletic training, physical therapy. You know, if you were to get a minor in education, if you were to get a minor in business or some sort of like healthcare administration, those were are three things. I mean, Corey, you already mentioned that your ability to be an educator helped you across the board. And I mean, it made your days long. Uh, you, you guys want to, yeah. you want to make a, you, you want a, a little insight into Corey's life at one point. I remember uh, him and I were working together for a while and I texted him to check in and it was like midterms. And, you know, that's typically playoff area, too. So he's like, hey, man, what's up? So I'm, I'm writing four midterm tests and I've got practice this afternoon and I got a coach breathing down my neck and I haven't eaten since breakfast. And so here's the nutrition guy telling me he hasn't eaten since breakfast. <laughs> and it's like four o'clock his time. <laughs> and I got all these things. But I, there were so many balls in the air that, you know, figuring out the opportunity you had to be an educator and figure that portion out it carried over to your strength coach practice and vice versa. Uh, I'm sure that happened. So being exposed to things like business or education and and saying, Hey, you know what? I really, I'm interested in being an educator for clinicians or for, you know, strength coaches or whatever, being able to, to experience that a little bit before you graduate would be extraordinarily valuable. Yeah. I like the idea of diversifying, diversifying your education business being one one thing that you could possibly do but, but it's like as i think about it you know we've all got now we're years removed from yeah. school and i i'm just you know when i was a college kid it was like yeah exercise science is cool i like playing football sweet and that was my life and now it's like gosh mechanical engineering sounds like it would be really relevant now i like data analysts and like business and education communication so almost 
it's, it's almost easier to say, yeah, you know, now I know like years removed where I've kind of like carved out my career, I know exactly what would, would complement it or I have a better idea than back then when I was a kid. So I wish there was some type of adult subsidy program where you could like, (laughs) you have to be a certain, you have to be a certain age or like have to be a certain point in your career and like apply for this, uh, subsidized re-education where you get to basically take another major, but you don't have to pay, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, but that would be cool. I think re-education sounds kind of scary, man. That sounds like a scary (laughs) movie right there. I'll go back to school right now, but I don't want to pay. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, any, again, any young people listening are really early and I'm, I would put myself in that category. Like I'm, I still think I'm really young as far as in the profession, but you almost don't have an excuse because you've got these podcasts, right? Like (laughs) you have these podcasts that you can like, you, you have, you have things at your fingertips, which has a dark side, right guys? Like there's also can be information overload, but you have educational podcasts. You've got audible, you got like, you know, ways that you can educate yourself from that front. Um, but like Quinn, like your, your point about now I know much better is, and just like, we've all somewhat pivoted. I, I, if I'm understanding like everyone's path, right. Everyone's somewhat pivoted and, that's that's fairly normal, I think. And Brett talks a lot about periodizing your career the way same way you would periodize a program. And how like, well, if you want to periodize a program, you've got to start with the end in mind. Like you gotta know where you're gonna end up. And even if it's gonna change, even having gone through that thought process of where do I wanna end up would give you, okay, then what things do I need to know? What skills do I need to gain? to get there, which obviously again can change, but so does a periodized program. Like, you know, right. Have a plan to write in pencil kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting corollary. You know what I mean? I think also maybe, uh, as your brain fully forms and you're, you have a frontal <laughs> lobe too. after about the age of 25, <laughs> sure. that probably helps too. Because if you ask me in college, uh, if, John, do you want to be a strength coach? I'd be like, yeah, I want to be that guy with the cool mustache. Who's it? Where's he at now? UCLA? Where's he? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, Oregon? The, yeah. Yeah, man. I want to be that guy. And everybody would be like, what? What do you, how are you going to do that? I don't know. Grow a sweet mustache? <laughs> Step one. Step one. Um, yeah, so when it comes, go, go ahead. Go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to share kind of a interesting um, quote from, again, this is like one of, from one of Brett's courses or Art of Coaching courses. Uh, Passion for training gets you here, meaning like in the field. The love of coaching keeps you and the knowledge of business makes sure you can do it on your own terms. Like if you could put a progression of like, okay, young Corey, you, you love training. You love freaking getting under the bar and like feeling the weight on your traps. So that's going to get you there. And then you're going to kind of get in the thick of it. 60, 70 plus hour weeks, mid, mid thirties or whatever salary. And so your love of coaching is going to keep you in it. But maybe we can get into this, but that's only going to last so long as far as just like being viable. You know, I've got my first kid on the way. So our daughter will be here in a month. And so like if it stays that way, that love of coaching isn't going to keep you in it. You know, just just from a strictly can you get it done? Like you might still have coaching, but 
what's becoming so prevalent is the fact that coaches are leaving and they, they, they're, they're, they're looking for other ways and they think their only options are either got to like grind it out and be miserable or leave. Right. And, and so like the knowledge of business, which Jared, you hit on it like perfectly, like at the end of the day, it's listening to people, finding out what their needs and wants are, and then helping them solve what their problems are. Like that, that's so beneficial, no matter what profession that you're in. And it sounds deceptively simple as I can. Right, yeah, it does. It's not that. Yeah, for sure. I'm finding out like I'm, I'm going to like, no, I'm under no, uh, you know, illusions that I've got it down because I'm still getting into this process of, of joining a very small company. Well, I want to, I want to kind of dive into that because this is, is curved a little bit away from what I had originally thought, but I, but the thing is, I like this, yeah. I like this more because now what we've done is we've looked at that and we're anchoring the profession uh, pretty much into three phases. So when it comes to the difficulties of overcoming those phases, you know, I'm passionate about it. You know, I love training. This is great. You know, I, I don't know how many people have come in and asked for a personal training job and you say, you know, what are your qualifications? And they look at their bicep. <laughs> it's like that's great that's great how many references you want but i've got yeah. you know. <laughs> but you know what what's a difficulty in getting past that passion point and like what's what's the solution to that difficulty when we we get to love the actually co- the the coaching aspect what's the difficulty in transitioning to to understanding the business and and all that stuff and what kind of solutions do we have what are your thoughts there how do we get them through that progression? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So to transition from the love of to viability, first of all, like we kind of hit on it earlier. I, I wish I just would have known more as a younger professional, like as a student. I wish I would have been more aware of the realities. Like when I was coming up and you guys maybe were too, and this is, I guess, very specific to strength conditioning. It's almost like pounded in your head that like, you should not do it for anything other than like the love of coaching being on the floor and the fact that you get to wear sweatpants every day. (laughs) And I was, and it's like, if you think, and if you think that like, things like money don't end up mattering. You're like, Whoa, dude, you're not in this for the right reasons. Um, so I, to a degree, I understand that, but then you get, and what we're seeing, and this is kind of the point of people leaving, you get strength coaches who get, or, or, or athletic trainers, physical therapists who get there and they're like, Whoa, I did not expect this. Um, so that's kind of like maybe number one, like being a little bit more upfront about the realities that are going, are coming down the road. And like at Northwestern, we were very specific and open about that. But then what do we add in their curriculum? We added stuff like breath stuff. We add conscious coaching. We add business stuff. Um, like business was a huge part of the personal training class that I taught. And, you know, so that, that was like kind of hopefully you can do that. Um, now let's say that you're in a job, you get it. 
how do you go about making that a little more viable or setting yourself up for the future? And one, one area that you could target would be how can you go a little bit deeper than what your job description says, right? Like if you're strength conditioning, almost all of your job related bullet points that you applied for are going to be training related, right? And like early on, you should probably make that your focus because really early on, you got to get that locked in. But then wherever you're at, whether it's a private facility, a university, um, high school, ask yourself, like, what are areas where I can go deeper? Where are areas that like I can help and expand my involvement in the organization as a whole that will then start to shift maybe the perception of what I do, right? Like, so where, where are deeper areas that I could get involved and like, you're going to be forced to, to use have like grow skill sets. So I'll give you an example from my career. I never thought I'd have to sit on academic committees, right? Like <laughs> you get into this and like, Oh, cool. I'll teach a few classes. I'll, I'll train athletes. And then you're like, um, I still need to like, I still need to basically provide more value. And so then you can look at what are academic committees I can sit on? What are um, other things within the athletic department that I could do to show that I am an involved person in this organization and, and as a whole? And so I would sit on like um, a big thing in, in small schools right now is adding sports. You bet your butt I was on that committee. <laughs> Any sport that we add, I got to train. <laughs> you know, so I volunteer for that committee. You know, and then, you know, academically, some of it was part of my job, but, um, you know, I was on, I was on committees that would like assess other academic programs. So that, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about with like, where can you go a little bit deeper with your role and where can you kind of insert yourself? Um, John L. Boucher at the Citadel sits on like a gender equity board. You know what I mean? So like, he's not just the weight room guy anymore. He's not just someone who yells at athletes. He like is invested in, in taking an aspect of the university and making it better. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Like, are there any areas where you guys have, have kind of done that with your careers? Uh, I mean, it's it it's one of the biggest things that's expanded my career just from the learning opportunities and the networking opportunities and the forum and and being involved there uh it's yes is it still within like kind of the same professional niche absolutely but it's allowed me the opportunity to interact with so many different people and and not just be you know, in a clinic or, or, or here, you mentioned before, like you started doing outside speaking engagements. If it wasn't for CA, I honestly, I probably wouldn't have my own business and I wouldn't be where I am today because it took two hands and both feet and pushed me forward. Um, and, and you know, I, I've obviously told Quinn and Derek this a, a ton of times. I'm so thankful for that because it's been able to provide those things for me. Um, but even in, Grad school, you know, I was I was part of a athlete, athlete leadership group that I helped kind of monitor and, and uh, moderate. Yeah. So it gave me another role as as opposed to just, you know, 
as an athletic trainer, the guy who tapes ankles and stands on the sideline and mixes the Gatorade uh, and runs out there if you get smashed in the face, uh, it, it it added a, a wrinkle that not only for me, the athletes appreciated, but also the coaches and some of the staff that went a long way. Hey guys, Quinn Anik here. We hope you're enjoying our awesome conversation with Corey Van Wyk. Real quick, I know I said it once, but I'll say it again because it's too awesome not to repeat. Clinical Athlete is teaming up with the Level Up Initiative and putting together the first ever virtual Kalu Summit on September 18th through 20th. We decided to come together on this because, let's face it, clinical practice is hard and conflicting information can leave you feeling lost. With the endless amount of research and dogmas, clinicians may feel frustrated and confused about how to help their patients. The Kalu Summit is your solution to help you gain confidence and clarity with key rehab principles, including exercise prescription, pain science, and communication. We're centering these concepts around three common clinical cases that you may encounter, ACL reconstruction, low back pain, and tendinopathy. Gain confidence in your clinical practice and find your path to success. And hang out with a bunch of badass providers from our communities. For more information on the summit, head over to the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. And now, back to the show. Corey, you said something there as you were going through that, that it was really interesting to me because you started this piece saying, what's identify what's going to get you there. Now we've got to identify what's going to keep you there. And then you described, I mean, this whole time you've kind of been describing your role, at, at least at Northwestern, teaching, coaching 60, 70 hours a week, which to be honest, I was surprised it was that low. With that type of, I mean, athlete case low, like, I, I mean, there were probably probably weeks there pushing 70, 80 plus, I would, I would guess. But right. so then you're hearing yeah. that and you're like, now, what are you saying? You're saying, oh, wait, do more. And that, I think, would be very counterintuitive. But at least in, in physical therapy, what I'm seeing is that the people who are just looking for the kind of clock in, clock out position, I'm just looking for a job, are the ones that, that lose interest. Like maybe they thought rehab was cool or strength conditioning was cool and that's what got them in, but they don't they don't actually have the passion to, to grow themselves and, and grow the field. And it's that value that you're talking about. Like there are ways to magnify yourself. Um, and when you feel like you're making a difference, it also just invigorates you. I mean, there's a lot of factors here, but I just thought it was so interesting yeah. that you, like you described this, you know, the, the constraint of just like being, having so much work, and, uh, you know, the pay is not there, but you're, you're busting your ass, but then you lean into it and you say, how can I expand? How can I add value to myself and ultimately then add value to the, the field as a whole, and like everybody around me? Cause that's really what you're doing too. And I just thought that was really, really interesting and yeah. pretty, pretty powerful <laughs> message. No, that's actually a really good point because yeah, on one hand I'm like, it's already overworked, but you got to do more. Um, and I think anyone you've got going, especially starting the process of trying to provide more value. Um, and you guys all know this because of starting businesses and 
getting things off the ground, there's going to be a period where you're stretched really thin. Like when I was getting more of my speaking engagements going, yeah, it would be put in a 12, 13 hour day at school, go home, work on a presentation for two to three hours until it's done, you know? And, and so you have to expect that kind of stuff. Um, but as you get through, like you go through that period of time, you I mean people will notice and assuming you're in an organization that is not just awful, then you use that as leverage <laughs> to expand your role and evolve your role. Um, and yeah, and like that doesn't always work out perfectly, but it's definitely not going to happen if you don't go through those steps. That's for sure. But yeah, Quinn, that's actually, that's a really good point. That's actually a question that I've had a lot for myself, but, um, I don't think it can happen unless, unless you do those things. Well, and it's also picking the right opportunities, right? Like, mm. cause you could, so we all agree that there's gotta be times that you got, that you have to grind. I mean, you know, just, you know, punch it in, do the work, but like, that's not sustainable forever. So like you do that, you build momentum and then you can pull back and kind of reorganize, reassess, but you can also like pick the right opportunity that magnifies your effort. So Corey, without like doing all those committees or doing what you're doing now, what you could have just done is taken on more teams, just taken on more athletes. Mm-hmm. So, but now that's not magnifying your skill set because that's already what you do. You're just trading more time now. Teach another class. But maybe, you know, maybe that's, maybe that would actually help. But like it's, you know what I mean? Like if you're just taking yeah. like lateral moves and you're expanding yep. this way, you're not moving forward. You're expanding side to side. And then you eventually, yeah. use, that's what blows you up. Right. But, but what you're describing is like, okay, that, but now what, how can I push forward and, and magnify my value that, that has longer standing effects going forward? And that's a key distinction, yeah. I think. Yeah, that is a, that's a really good point, Quinn. And to give people, if they are like thinking, okay, well, what then do I need to do? Um, that the best, I guess, advice I can give is make sure you try to find out or understand what matters the most to the place that you're at. Like if you're at a small school, like they really value people who um, can do multiple things. There's a dark side to that, obviously, but yeah, like they're, like you said, if I just train more athletes or more people or, or taught another class, that doesn't really move the needle. But if I feel a need that the university has, meaning typically low resources and just like not enough people to go around, that's pretty valuable. Or I'll, here's what I'll say, like now that I'm not in it anymore, as far as just like, this is like almost a realization like a big thing with small schools is just enrollment. So the more you can do to impact that side of things, like that's massive amount of value. So if you can identify like, especially in strength and conditioning, the people who decide your job. And I was a little more protected because I had an academic role, but the more you can identify what truly matters to, to the organization, the people who are kind of your superiors, and then do as much as you can to alleviate their pain points or solve their problems, that's going to add the most value. 
I think there's also two important aspects in this that I kind of want to touch on. When you look at just adding teams, and this is relevant to all the professions that are typically in our audience. If you just add teams or add athletes or add patients, there's a high rate of burnout in all of our professions. And that's one of the reasons why is because you have a plate, you have bandwidth that you can work with. And our first answer is to just do more of the same thing. And eventually your brain just fatigues from that. Like you can't just look at athlete programs all day and just churn through them like a machine. It's not sustainable. So, and and the argument is, well, I'll, I'll just do better. Well, there's plenty of people out there that do the same thing. So now you start looking (laughs) at the red, red ocean and blue ocean theory, right? Mm -hmm. So you, all you're doing is sitting in a red ocean of all these people who are going to sit there and continue to just do more, 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 more. And then they leave the field and they're burnt out and there's nothing there. Why don't you do something different? It's probably better to be different than it is to be incrementally better than someone else. So instead, what you've done is diversify a little bit. You've also stimulated yourself because you've got a new thing to learn. If you went and and you're, like you said, you've got your background in nutrition, you're a strength coach, successful strength coach, and now all of a sudden you're doing something analyzing academic programs. Like, yeah, that might be like a block review or something, but it's new. You interact with a new set of people, the academic side of the school. There's there's this exciting kind of new thing that right. you get to do. So for me, what that would happen for me in this particular instance in the clinic that I was working on, our website was trash. It was awful. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't yeah. figure out anybody that could put a website together for less than what we were willing to pay. So I just started playing around with Wix and put together a new website. That was so exciting. And it made me so much more valuable because mm. now I'm the admin for the website. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like it was really stimulating and it it led me to actually be more productive in my client outreach and dealing with with the people that were coming into the clinic and that sort of thing, because it gave me another outlet to feel excited about. Right. So that, that it's really important. You allowed yourself to be different, which on a resume is going to look great. And you allowed you, you stimulated yourself enough that you didn't you don't lead to a lot of burnout. And I understand it's it's always that time balance. But yeah. if you've got a creative side that you're allowed to kind of fill up a little bit, those hours don't necessarily count towards that as much as volleyball practice to football practice to <laughs> soccer practice to like yeah, you know, right. it's a different groove that you can work through that that's not as draining yeah 100 percent. so no yeah it's, that's that's a great point sorry i didn't know if quinn or, J- or jared was going to jump in there i was waiting i don't like interrupting people <laughs> waiting in the wings yeah um, pounce. but yeah what you like i think something in there that you hit on John was like, not all time is created equal. Like not all time that you spend on stuff is the same, like load on you. Everything about physical load, like not all, not all like load that we place on an athlete is going to have the same like stress on the system. And it's the same with the things you do in your career. And so you could have someone who works half the amount of hours, like perfect examples. When I was getting my PhD at Iowa state, 
like dream schedule. Seriously, like I think back to that time, but I was miserable because the hours spent in the lab were so taxing and, and just not enjoyable. They weren't what I wanted to do. And so even though, you know, you're a student still, you have a pretty open schedule. I mean, I had, I had a, there was a weight room at Iowa State dedicated to only strength athletes. And not even like that was not enough for me. Like it was, I would still go home and be miserable. But then you like, John, you, you either learn a new skill or you get something that is way more in line with your values and your priorities. And those hours don't have the same load on you. So the more that you can, as you expand, this might be like go into like other ways to like, like deepen what your role might be. The more you can align them with like a problem and then also a value of yourself, um, while it will end up being more work and potentially for a while it would be, you're still going to get a lot more fulfillment from it. There's a kind of an old, older concept, but going back to business way back with the book uh, called the E-Myth mm-hmm. and you know, Love that book. sprinkled throughout that book, it's work. It's work on your business, not in your business. But we yep. could say the same thing for your craft. Like you mentioned the strength and conditioning coach at Iowa or Texas or Ohio State. They have, they have such an infrastructure and supports and support system that they like the head strength and conditioning coach can work now on the system as opposed to being in the system, just yep. getting raked with more, with more yeah. and more and more. And so it's like the same with a clinician. You could have 20 patients on your caseload every day where you're just inundated in, in the, in the clinic, in, in your craft, but you can't yep. work on your craft. You can't pull out, pull back and, and, and hone in, you know, those things. And so I think finding out, that's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, bills need to be paid. Life needs to be had. Uh, I totally get that. But finding ways that you can pull out and pull back and find ways to work on whatever that on it, whatever that it is for you, rather than just being inundated in it constantly, yeah. I think is a concept that is valuable for people. And it sounds like that's kind of what we're getting at. Yeah, for sure. Going back to what you said, Corey, a while ago in terms of um, periodizing one's career and to do that or to periodize a program, you have to have the end in mind. It can be tough, I think, for a lot of people, at least for me, to figure out, all right, I I know I want to learn these new skills or, or expand my horizons. Here are a bunch of things that I think would help me do that. How do I how do I pick that? Um, something that we've talked about, John, I credit this to you comes from Dr. Berardi again is the value structure and having a very short list of things that you really care about. What's, what's the number, John, like two or three. Is that he, he suggests two or three mm-hmm. that, that yeah. you basically cross check your aspirations like with or opportunities yeah. with. And then everything else is like a no, like everything's a no, everything is a no, right? Unless you're willing to compromise one of those values. If you do that frequently, then you really need to question if that's actually a value. Value. 
Yeah. So if you have that, then the reason for it being short is so it's a it's a readily available heuristic. You don't have to expend a whole bunch of of energy or brain power figuring out if opportunity X will be in line with these things. You can run it through that, figure out what the outcome is, and then make your decision based on that. Um, that is probably a good place to start. I, personally, I found that very helpful over the last few months, um, it, particularly as I've sort of changed direction as far yeah. as how I want to develop myself and what skills I want to add, and then figuring out what the nuts and bolts are, but how to make progress, move the needle consistently uh, without completely sacrificing the other things that, that matter to me. So my family being one, uh, training being another, you know, stuff like that. All right. Yeah, no, that's definitely, like you said, that's a good framework. It's a good start. And um, like nothing says it's going to like stay that way. You know, nothing says like you have to be locked into, well, you said those were three things 20, 10 years ago. <laughs> they still have to stay the same. So like, yeah, ha- that, that, it's a good compass. Um, and I think that's what gets scary about it though. Like people get scared, like, well, well I'm locked into this now forever. Yeah. And no, you're not like, you're not going to be. Um, but yeah, that would be, that's a good, good point, Jared, of just, that's a good like measuring stick or like way to kind of guide yourself as you're making decisions. Um, I think that, does that come from change maker? Yeah. Yeah. So any, anyone listening like change maker, uh, which is Dr. Berardi's newest book. That's a it's a good one to do, and it's uh, it's tougher when you're younger because, like, yeah, sometimes you just don't know. <laughs> but it's never truly to at least start thinking about that kind of stuff. Well, and that's my hope for for this because when we started talking about you know younger selves and and how what we what we valued then versus what we value now, of course, it's going to be different. That mm-hmm. seems to be a pretty common thread. But but hopefully by having this conversation and putting it out there and, and maybe giving people some things to think about, some resources to check out, um, maybe it helps them to set their, their sights a little bit further in the future and then start making some of those decisions that, that they'll appreciate in the moment, but it'll also pay off dividends down the road. Yeah. I felt like such a cheater reading that book. Because I paused it, like, right when he started going over it. And I was like, all right, these are my three, right? Does it make my family life better? Does it help grow my business? And will it interrupt my self-care? And then he starts talking and he has the same three. And I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) that's terrible. Everybody's going to think I'm a liar and a cheater. (laughs) But uh, that value system is great. Uh, It's it's a great way to, to measure not just that, but what you truly find valuable. The, the one key for me with that was always if you compromise or, or say yes to things that would typically be a no, you got to sit down and reevaluate that because it's not actually a value. Um, it, it's, it's been monumental for me over the last few years because I actually remember him. That was something he's talked about in previous articles, probably for the PTDC or something like that. Um, something with precision nutrition years ago. Uh, but, but it's a, it's a great mentality shift to, to help make those decisions. So you scared me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry guys. My wife just walked in like a ninja and like (laughs) ran behind me. I don't know how much Um, of this you want to get into, but, um, with your career change, you know, cause you're no longer working at Northwestern. Nope. Right. And so like you've taken the sleep. I know, I know, I know it wasn't an overnight decision, 
I know this has been a process that you've been kind of working through. So it's not like it was like all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere. Um, but, and I don't, I'm going to try to rephrase a question out of this, but, you know, here you are kind of transitioning. What were some of the, um, what were some of the, the thought processes, like the pros and cons that you had to decide of? Cause now you're, you were in a very certain, more of a certain environment where like, I have a salary. Like, I know it's like a lot, like I'm, I'm over, I'm undervalued here as far as the work that I do and like how much I actually get paid. But like, I enjoy these people. I enjoy this school. Like, you know, I love, I know that you loved what you did and now, you know, transitioning now to this more uncertain situation, except there's no barrier. I mean, like it's limitless in all directions. Right. Which was also makes it awesome. Yeah. But that's a decision that's like, that's a really powerful decision to be made. And I think that's a decision that people face a lot and they don't venture out because they're scared. And I'm sure there was a lot of fear there. So what, what was the process for you kind of making that decision and that kind of evolution? Yeah, it was a process that you, you're very, very right about that. Um, here's what it came down to. Basically, Quinn, you, you hit on like probably the biggest factor, like the sky is the limit and anything is possible when, when you're like, like this, like you guys all know, like the, in, in business, it's like, well, if you feel like you can solve a problem, it just comes down to you getting it done. And, uh, that's. 100% still a process that I'm, I'm learning a lot about. So I'm not saying like, I, I know how to do that, but the possibilities, um, while trying to help the bigger mission that I didn't, I just didn't feel like I was getting at a small school with the workload, meaning the bigger mission I wanted to, to really move forward with is trying to help the profession not just of strength and conditioning. Like I, I consider us all in the same profession. Like it's physical preparation. It, it's something regarding like people like don't know the difference between the three of like the, the three of our like divisions, right. <laughs> or our divisions, as far as like, what's the difference between athletic training, strength, conditioning, personal and physical therapy. I'm going to throw a personal training in there too. Um, but if, the stuff like the stuff that Brett has done over the past several 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 years of trying to get the field to mature and evolve and think differently and set themselves up better down the road, I felt like I could have much better bigger impact as helping that grow as opposed to staying at a small small school. And again, like Quinn, you had I, I like there's a, I loved what I did. I'm grateful for for the time that I had there because. When I got there, it was literally the perfect fit for who I was at the time and my skill set. But um, at the end of the day, like we've talked about a, a little bit here, you know, part of it was that things didn't things didn't progress along with life. So with a kid on the way, with buying a house, with all this other stuff. Um, yeah, it was secure. Like I had zero ish no worries about, uh, job security, but I was also on a pay freeze for almost half my time. And that's starting out in a salary that you would think hearing what I've done, you would, you know, it's not what you think it is. I, I promise you. So again, not, not trying to like, you know, 
it is what it is with small schools. So um, this was number one, a way for me to try to do something that's a little bit of a greater impact broadly on the profession of physical preparation. And then I am trying to evolve myself by building skill sets. Like these are like the skill sets that I will gain. Yeah, I maybe could have done them, but my role at in that that setting never really would have changed. And that's like another issue that a lot of coaches face is there's no clear path forward. Like their their roles have no like flexibility and leeway, even despite maybe doing the things that we talked about earlier. Um, so those that's really what it came down to, Quinn, as far as making a little bit of a scary choice and losing that safety net of having a set income every month, having uh, health insurance, all the, like, the benefits that might go along with. Um, but quite honestly, if anyone's just kind of thinking about doing it the same, like ask yourself how much is really going to be different. And this is with the understanding that a lot of strength conditioning coaches don't have a whole lot of benefits to start with. You know, like, um, uh, so like, yeah, you, I mean, I, I was lucky in that respect. I did have health insurance. I did have a retirement and a lot of strength coaches don't, but if you're going to think about going out on, on like a new venture still related, it might not all be that, that be like all that different from what you're currently or current situation in many ways. So maybe think about it in that way. And for me personally, that actually ended up somewhat being the case. Like there was going to be some things that, yes, it maybe was a little more uncertain, but the ceiling is much greater and I'm going to gain much different skill set that um, I do think will benefit not only me down the road, but my family down the road and the profession as a whole. When you were going through that transition, because, I mean, this is this is something we talked about for a while. Um, how much did you have to deal with imposter syndrome? going through that. I mean, it's something I feel paralyzes people from action really often. And just for people who don't know, Brett is a well-known face within the strength conditioning community. His, his conscious coaching book is a, is a best-selling book. I've read it twice. I think it's excellent. Like that's gotta be intimidating and and jumping into anything new. You're always going to have that thought of like, am I good enough? How did you get over that? Did you get over that? It like it, it lingers. It sticks around for a long time, and it's something I think we go through cyclically, regardless. But what did what did you do? Did you have those feelings, and what did you do to get through them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think everyone has those feelings to a degree. I mean, heck, Brett's talked about having those feelings. You know, he's he's pretty open about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I like I still have them. I mean, I, I, I kind of had it with this podcast because here, here I am. Like, <laughs> I've done some things. Yeah, but I, I'm still so young in my career. But one thing you can't say is that I haven't made moves to try to try to set myself up, you know, so I have to take comfort in that fact that like, well, I am doing things. I'm not there yet. But yeah, John, like 100 percent have deal with and have imposter syndrome. And I think everyone does. Like, I think. I don't know many people that are so secure in themselves that they don't have imposter syndrome about something that they're going to put out there. Um, And quite honestly, though, if you take on a new, if you make a move, 
and this is kind of what I when I was looking at, you know, because I did go through processes of like interviewing for director positions at like D1 universities or um, just other roles. Like if you are 100 percent qualified for your next move, it's probably not a step up. You know, like you're you're going like your next step should probably be scary, like in a lot of ways. Um, and so that's probably a good thing. Like if you're having a little bit of that, it should probably be a sign that you're maybe on the right path. Otherwise, it just does become the same thing over and over again. Um, here's, I guess, for me, like getting over imposter syndrome. If that's where my drive to to learn comes from, guys. Like, I like when I took your guys's courses, meaning the the weightlifting course and the powerlifting course. I mean, I've been training for fifteen years and had um, gone through all the stuff you should go through, but I still have this drive to better myself. So I knew there was things I could learn from you guys. Like, and I, and I was no, no, under no illusion that even after all that, and then being a head strength and conditioning coach for six years, that I knew everything there was to know about the barbell, the lifts. And that's where my drive comes from as far as like trying to deal with imposter syndrome. It, it fuels me like 100%. And um, one thing I'll be, I'll admit like to, to continue this, this process I need to get better at putting it out there. Like I do like my next challenge to myself. And this is Brett's challenge to me is create more. So yeah, I've done speaking. I've taught classes that's still like very closed. And I think going through that process of creating more and putting more like really out there. Um, that's part of that, of getting over or dealing with that imposter syndrome. I always tell people action. You got to You got to take action. And like you're talking about, you went on interviews and you've, you've, you've gone through your paces there. And if, if you're not, if you're not a little uncomfortable, you're probably not in the right place right now. Right. You know, it's that whole smartest person in the room thing. Like there's so many little sayings that go along with that. Um, it, uh, I'm with you, but you it, it, you said it. You got to take action. You got to take that next step. And if you take that next step, you know you'll you'll keep on moving forward. The course is a funny example, Corey, because it works both ways. I see, you know, I see, we can see who's coming to the course, and it's like, oh, Corey's a strength conditioning, you know, collegiate strength conditioning coach. He's got he's got more experience coaching group coaching athletes, you know, just on the day to day than I do, and I'm the one teaching the course. So, like, we feel those <laughs> things too, you know. Yeah, uh, but but that drives us to like yep. always improve upon the content and to and to hone our skill set. You know, it's like so it like works both ways. It's this funny dynamic, but yeah, it has to. It don't, for it to work both ways, both sides have to be willing to continue to be uncomfortable. Yeah, man, no doubt. I felt that so much when I looked at the SoCal registration last year and I saw Cody and Claire's eye on there. I was like, yes. Oh man. Oh, no. <laughs> like that. Oh man. Okay. I got to, got to bring my A game on that day. But guy, like, so like hitting back on like the field of strength and conditioning and stuff like that is why sometimes they don't understand the resistance to outside speaking for strength coaches. 
because it's another arena to test yourself. Like it's another arena to uh, see how your message is coming across. And I, and I and strength coaches listening, I get that sometimes there are constraints put on you by organizations. Like I don't care. Like Matt Rea is probably not going to put any more out on his speed training now that he's at Alabama. It's just not going to happen. But some people will be like, and this is again something a message that was really put on me. I'll never forget when I asked my strength conditioning coach who I who I love when I was in college. I asked him, "Hey, why don't you write for Elite FTS more?" He like snapped, he like head whips around, right? He's like, "I don't ride a coach." I'm like, oh, okay. So that was like kind of where I came from. But if you speak and you write and then you put it out there, you're testing your coaching ability because it's communication. Like if you can speak about your topic or an expertise area to a totally new population who doesn't know you from Adam or maybe know anything about your, your uh, subject matter and you can get through to them, you are either working on or enhancing your ability to communicate. Or, you know, I've had, you, know, you might lead sessions, like I've done agility practicals before where I have no idea where I'm stepping into. And then they'll show you the gym that you're like in. And like the floor hasn't been, you know, cleaned in a decade or, you know, they're <laughs> super slick. And then you have, you don't know who's going to, who's going to like volunteer uh, for you. And that's like all forcing you to adapt to the situation. And then you go back to your pristine indoor turf field where your athletes are all 18 to 22 years old and they've got cleats on. And that's like easy peasy. Yeah. Oh, cool. You guys are, this is ready to rock. Let's do this. Um, so I've always viewed that as like, a way to hone and test yourself. Oh, hundred percent. It introduces the holes in your reasoning too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't just make the comfort level side of things easier. It also, it, it shines a light on your gaps and it makes yes. them a little bit more painful too. Like when you, <laughs> I'm honest about that. Like one reason why I go put my face out there so much is because it makes me check myself and then mm -hmm. people like identify the gaps for me. Or you can even like feel where something's just not quite, you don't have all the connections in your head. And yet here I am trying to teach it. So like, oh, boom, that highlighted something I need to go back to and clean up a little bit. Because if it's not making sense in my head, it's sure as hell not making sense in their head. <laughs> right. So yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I'm with that. We talked about that during the course uh, for powerlifting about attractor states the first time I threw them in there. <laughs> we were like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if that needs to be in there. So, I, Corey, I appreciate this talk, man. Um, this has been awesome. How can people connect with you, social media, that sort of thing, and tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing over at Art of Coaching right now? Absolutely. So, yeah, social medias, the interwebs. I mean, you search for me on on all platforms. Just search Corey Van Wyk, and it's K O R E Y. You'll, you know, it's probably going to be in the show notes or whatever. I'm on all that. Uh, also, Art of Coaching. Uh, Instagram is A O Coaching uh, for for that, and then obviously like follow Brett. I mean, he's also on everything. He's going to be. He's he's very very active. Other than that, look me up on social media, shoot me an email, Corey at artofcoaching.com. And I'd love to talk shop with anybody, help any way that I can. 
Um, and uh, that's how you can get a hold of me. And if you follow Corey, let's let's go ahead and push that challenge a little bit and send him a message as soon as he accepts and say, hey, I can't wait for all your new content, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because just give him that little push. Yes. Well, thanks Very a lot well. for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Quinn, Jared, any last thoughts? No, just, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Corey. This was great, man. Uh, you, yeah, you and I like talked yeah, quite a bit over the last few years, but um, this was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, same thing here, Corey. Thank you for this. Uh, I've really enjoyed it and uh, have some more stuff to, to think about and start to implement. So it's always a, a, a sign of a great conversation. Awesome. So yeah. since you're thanks, one of our six listeners, yes. I guess... We get to say goodbye to five. Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's unfortunate. Absolutely. We it could, is. Yeah, you're, this this will be uh, less listened to because you are a, s- a significant percentage of the listenership. <laughs> so to our five listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. We'd like to thank Corey Van Wyk for being on the show. Check out the show notes to find his contact information along with the Art of Coaching website. And of course, thank you to my homies, Jared Maynard and John Flagg for steering this ship alongside me. And thank you, the clinical athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. And remember, if you want to dive even deeper into the clinical athlete community, you can check out all the Clinical Athlete Forum has to offer, which includes our Clinical Athlete Academy courses, amazing discussions and networking with professional clinicians and coaches, as well as students, and just our overall hub of knowledge in regards to athlete health and performance. And don't forget to reserve your spot to the virtual Kalu Summit. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.